old. Well, we come every season of celebration. We come to it with new experiences and new understandings and different perspectives. And uh, this is my 34th Christmas in this church. And I have shared with this, this family, and because of all that has gone on in my life and in the life of this church, I approach the Christmas story with new eyes, new excitement, new anticipation of what we'll learn together as we come to this very wonderful story. I, I was reading several weeks ago, and I got to the verse, uh, to, to this verse, and I stopped in my tracks by the words that I've read many, many times, but saw in a brand new way this time. They're words of the messenger angel sent by God, sent to shepherds in a field, and, and, and hear them with me, because over the four Sundays of Advent, we're going to be listening to hear their impact. It comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel reassured them, the, the shepherds, saying, Don't be afraid, for I've come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it's for everyone, everywhere. I've read that so many times, and yet this time I got stopped by it and arrested by these three short phrases, good news, and that's what we're going to look at today, great joy for all people. I love my job. I, I love that I get to be with people at some of the most important times of their life, some of the most important moments of their, of their time here on earth. I get to celebrate when they celebrate. Weddings, baby dedications, milestone birthdays and anniversaries, graduations, moments when they have accomplished or arrived at hard-fought victories. I get to be there. I get to, I get to share and celebrate with them. But what most people don't understand is how much bad news is involved in this gig that I do. Very few people understand that in my office, after my computer, the most important commodity to have on hand is Kleenex. There's a lot of crying goes on in my office. I see a lot of tears, I shed a lot of tears, and not just in my office, but wherever people are, wherever trouble shows up, I sit with people in the moments that they're with me, wherever trouble shows up, I sit with them in those moments there with bad news. Sometimes, I've even had to be the person who shows up and brings the bad news. For instance, the time that I had to phone a father and then a mother to announce that their healthy 28-year-old son, who had just been married six weeks before, had been out running and had had an asthma attack and had been rushed to the hospital and had received the best care, but it was not enough, and he was dead. Or the time that I was with a dad in the bank manager's office and we sat there and watched with tears running down our face as the police took his child out of that bank in handcuffs. His daughter needing 
needing cash for a drug habit, had stolen a check and forged his name and tried to clean out the account. Or the many times that I've been in doctor's offices where the first words out of the mouth of the doctor were, I'm afraid that I have some very difficult news to share with you today. Or sitting in a living room where a long-time marriage relationship quickly unravels with these words, I want you to know I just don't love you anymore. Or sitting beside a mother in a courtroom, her hand over mine, squeezing until it feels like my fingers are going to fall off. As the judge says about her son, I find you guilty and sentence you to life imprisonment without any chance of parole for 25 years. I've had a dear man turn to me in a hospital emergency room after his wife has been examined and found to have no brain activity and the doctor has asked if they might shut off the machinery that's keeping this patient alive and breathing artificially and that man turns to me and says, Bill, can you decide, can, can you tell the doctor what to do? Or standing at a graveside with a mom and her children as the casket of her husband is lowered into the ground and the mother looks at me and says, what, what are we going to do now? The stories are many. The details are complicated, but in my many years of pastoral ministry, I have heard more than my share of bad news. There are certain phrases that, that trigger a physical response in me, a sentence that, that begins with, I don't know how or I hate to have to say this, can cause my stomach to knot up instantly. Words like, no hope, or we've done all that we know how to do, but it's not enough. Because of extensive exposure to those kinds of situations, I can feel my body react before the sentence even gets finished. We all know that regular life is difficult as it is, and, 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 and it's just the simple things. Things like flat tires or unexpected expenses or inconvenient periods of illness or family conflict or a prairie snowstorm or, or limitations that come with advanced age. Those are part and, and, and difficult parts to handle. However, from time to time, there comes, there comes a punch in your stomach that is almost too much. It knocks not only the wind out of us, but it sucks the hope and the energy out of our lives. And I say all of that to say this, Merry Christmas. No, there, there is a reason for me to paint such a dark and desperate picture for you this morning, and and it's this, if you want to understand how, how beautiful, how brilliant the light is that came at that first Christmas, you have to understand something of how dark it was, how horrible it was before the light arrived. It, 700 years before Jesus was born, 
there was a prophet whose name was Isaiah, and he had the hard job, no, almost the impossible job of bringing the words of God to a nation, the nation of Israel, who had no interest in what God was saying, no, no conviction about what God was doing. They were words of instruction and words of correction, words of warning and, and information about how they were doing from heaven's perspective as, as his holy people. And the problem was that Israel wasn't even remotely interested. They'd shut off their awareness, shut down their interest in all things spiritual, all things healthy, in order to follow their own appetite and their own interests. And those appetites and interests hadn't got them anywhere significant. This had gone on for so long that, that they were in such a deep hole that they had no hope, no belief, no faith that they'd ever get out. There's an old adage that I was raised with that blessed are they who do not expect for they shall not be disappointed. And Israel had made that their national motto. Things were so bad, they were so dark, that they had lost hope in anything or that anything would ever change. They were walking like blind persons, just getting used to being always in the dark. Then Isaiah gets a word from God and is asked to deliver it to Israel. The word is about a future moment, a, a moment down the road, a change that's coming, and, and he stands up and with a loud clear voice announces this word to a desperate people. The people who walk in darkness, Isaiah chapter 9, if you're following, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You can take that statement about darkness and you can apply it to any sector, any level, any, any part of life and society in Israel. Economically, the, the nation was in trouble. It had been overrun by the Assyrians and they were pillaging the GDP of that country and making off like bandits, taking the, the, the best riches from Israel and shipping it back home. Politically, it wasn't any better. The leaders that were in charge were both inept and corrupt. The leaders didn't have the best interests of the nation at hand. They were looking after themselves, and, and families were in crisis, and health care couldn't keep up, and, and things were so bad that the newspapers of the day couldn't even find an artist who could make up some comics for the page to bring a smile to their reader's face. It was that bad. The reality was that the entire nation was, was walking in a darkness, a hopelessness. In the story of Moses, one of the plagues that he brings to Egypt is a, a plague of darkness, a darkness that's so thick, so dark, so heavy that it could be felt. I 
Isaiah says, just like that plague, there's a gloom now over this entire nation, and it's having an effect on the people. It's so dark that it's extinguished the hope. It's, it's snuffed out the dreams, the plans, the expectations of an entire generation. They lived in a land of deep darkness. I tried to imagine some physical way of letting you know what that looks like. If we were all to get on a plane and go to the far north to a town that used to be called Copper Mine but now is called Kagluktuk in Nunavut, the sun today will rise at 11.18 a.m. and the sun will set this afternoon at 1.42 p.m. 104 minutes of light. And that seems like a pretty short day, but by the 11th of December until the last day of the year, the sun won't be seen at all in that town. It, it won't get up over the horizon. And it's that kind of darkness, that kind of long-term gloom that, that's represented what is spoken of by Isaiah when he speaks to his nation and to his people. And, and the people who walk in darkness, he says. The land that exists in deep darkness. However, beyond what the reality is right now, the word that Isaiah has is there is coming a change in the landscape. It's darkness now, but there's coming a change. Though you live, though you walk in darkness now, there is coming a great life-changing, history-altering light. And, and though the land is covered in deep darkness now, that won't always be the case. There will come a time when a bright and glorious light will shine. Change, hope, a new dawn is on the horizon of your history, says the prophet. Verse 3, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest time. And like warriors dividing the plunder, you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The good news continues. There's not only light coming, but Israel, you are right now a captured people. Broken borders have allowed raiders, raiding armies and conquering peoples to overrun you and destroy you and to steal of your natural resources. But you will experience a rebuild. Your nation will once again be great. Your people will once more have reason to laugh and to give thanks he says, you won't, you won't hardly remember this because there's been so many years of drought and famine, but if, if you can ask your grandpa or if you, if you can find someone old enough to remember, you, you, can, you can remember the joy that came in the old days when the, the last crops were gathered and they were stored in the bin and there was this confidence as you, as you had all the crops in and you had them in the bin and you shut the bin and, and now it could be winter. And the joy and the confidence and the, and the complete rest that you had that there would be enough food for you and your family throughout all of the winter. That kind of joy, that kind of contentment will come again. And, and do you remember 
what it was to be a victorious army rather than a defeated one. Do you remember those days when you had not only what you could produce, but your warriors were, were winning battle after battle and were bringing the spoils of war back home, and there was always more than enough in your land? The warriors would come home and it would be divided out amongst the, the, the houses and the families, and, and there would always be enough. And and that kind of day, it's coming again, says, says the prophet to Israel as well. You who are now slaves, you who work hard, long hours, but see no paycheck, no reward, because it all goes to your oppressor. I have news for you. I want you to know that it will not always be that way. I'm telling you that there's a day up ahead when you will be empowered by God to stand up and say, enough is enough. We're not going to take it anymore. We send you back to where you came from. You no longer have authority. You no longer have power. You no longer have ability to keep us in slavery. We take back our place as free people. We take back our, our own ability to decide and determine our future and our destiny. This is a day when the yoke will be broken. The rod of the oppressor will be smashed and victory will be yours again. This is the word of a prophet to Israel. Incredible words of hope and life delivered from the lips of God through his servant Isaiah to his people Israel. But because the, the darkness at that moment of, of release was so great, because the life was gone and the hope was extinguished, no one was listening. No one cared. No one believed that it would happen. No one. But just because no one believed the promise, just because no one was listening, it doesn't mean that the promise is dead. That's important for you to... Just because you don't listen doesn't mean that God's hands are tied. In fact... I want you to take out a pen and paper and I just want you to write this reference down because you see, when God makes a promise, you can take that promise to the bank. The, the reference is Numbers 23.19 and I want you to, to write that down because there's coming a time when you're going to need to find it and I want it to be underlined in your Bible so that you can find it. Numbers 23 verse 19. It's a word that's Got life breathed on it this morning. It's not an old verse. It's a, it's a now verse for you. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? You need to write that in your Bibles so that you can find it when you need it. Israel was not in a relationship with God, and so they could not believe, they could not accept that God was saying something that was filled with hope. Good news was so foreign to them that they could not comprehend the importance of the statement, and so they ignored the prophetic promise, and they walked away. But that didn't nullify what God was saying. He said it, and so it would happen. Believe it or not, the promise continues. Verse 5 of 
of Isaiah talks about wars that, that had filled the nation with fear and dread. Isaiah says the horror of wars has taken its, its toll on you. The bloodshed, the loss, the, the grief that's been soaked in loss and defeat for so very long. But I tell you this, it's coming to an end, Isaiah says. The fear that attends each heart with new and different armies that march through the streets of your cities and tears down our flag and hoists it on its own to the top of the pole and says, there is now a new marshal in town, Israel. I'm telling you that those days are going to come to an end. No more marching boots of warrior. No more blood-stained uniforms. The only significance is that those boots, those uniforms will be used for a fuel in a fire that will fuel your life. Israel, I, I know that you have no hope. No capacity to believe. No understanding of what I'm saying. However, hope is coming back. Life will be restored. All the news is not bad. There is good news that will come your way. And then Isaiah takes the camera that is focused on a nation as a whole and he, he narrows it down. He focuses it on one person. From a full view of the nation to, to the gift, to the person that God has promised seven centuries before the gift even arrives. Listen, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. People of Israel, the answer to our troubles right now will be found in the birth of a child, a son set, sent by God as a gift to us. As Moses was a deliverer for our people in times past, there's another deliverer who is coming, and, and I want to tell you about him. I, I want you to get a sense of who he is and what he's like. First, he, he will rule the nation, rule over this nation, over the world. He, he will wear a royal robe of governance on his shoulders. It has on it authority and he will be responsible and, he will, and kind in the way that he runs the kingdom. The incompetent people who are on thrones in this region at the moment are, are making a mess of everything. It, things go from bad to worse each and every day. But this, this gift of God, this Son of God will rule properly, will rule wisely, will add value to you and to your life. The king will wear five descriptive names that will be an indication of, of the character of the disposition that he holds, of his rule, and what we will expect of him. Israel, I want you to know that he will be called wonderful, which is a way of letting you know that he will not be greedy, he will not be corrupt, he will not be incompetent in his leadership, but he will be exceptional. He 
will be distinguished. He will be above and beyond all the rest. When people stand back and and watch what he does and, and how he does it, words will fail them because he will be so much more than they expected or believed that they deserved. And, and so all they will be able to say by way of description is, in slack-jawed wonder, wonderful, exceptional. He will be called counselor. As wise and understanding as Solomon was as a king, this deliverer sent by God will be one who is outstanding in wisdom and knowledge. People will come close and quiet themselves to hear what he says. He will speak with authority that comes from another dimension. There's there's this authority that comes from man, and then there's an authority that comes from might. But this authority comes from God and is shaped by God and is good like God. He will be the wise. He will be the experienced counselor who knows what to do, how to do it. And when to release it, he will be known. He will be called the counselor. And he will be called mighty God. Like us, the the people of Israel had at one time looked for heroes. They looked for the warrior that would be able to take on and defeat any foe that presented itself at the at the borders of their nation. The leader who was never stopped or stumped by difficult circumstances. The the doctor who could heal all disease. The, The superhero who could not be held down or limited in what he could do or be. But Isaiah says, in this regard, this this promised son, this gift to us, is more than all of that. He is unlimited. He is unrestricted. He is all-powerful and all-present. He's all-knowing. He's so much more than what we could dream of or expect, for he is the God of all might, all power, supreme, undefeated, and knows no limits. I almost feel like calling the team up and singing, Um, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Isaiah says, I want you to know, nothing can stop the Lord Almighty. He will be called Everlasting Father. We we know at this point, as, as believers at this point in time, that Isaiah is talking about Jesus, God's only Son. And, and so we can get a bit confused when we read this title, The Son of God. How can He be known as the Everlasting Father? But the description is a description of His character. Everlasting is, is spoken of in terms of time. The problem with a good king is that the good king gets old. And I have no idea what that means, but he gets old, and he, his body starts to fall apart, and his memory starts to fail, and, and eventually he dies. And usually the heir was something less than the father. And so again, blessed are they who do not expect, for they shall not be disappointed, but... 
There is a king coming, Isaiah says, who will reign forever and his rule will last forever. And the descriptor father simply means that he will not be a policy wonk or a military expert or an unapproachable sovereign. He will rule over his people as a loving father leads and guides his family. He will look after each member according to what is in their best interest. You are not a number. You are not a statistic. You are a son. You are a daughter of a father that knows what he's doing and will be around for all time. Everlasting father. And finally, he will be called prince of peace. After centuries of war and of fighting not only the enemies of Israel, but You, Israel, being an enemy of God by the way that you act and live and respond to Him, that will come to an end. He he will make things right so that you can live in peace and and healthy relationship with God. And the hard feelings, the the fear of improper relationship, the damage caused by rebellion, the, the trauma that comes after being hurt by disobedience, that all ends with the arrival of the Prince of Peace. You will come into right relationship and there will be a joy. There will be a connection. There will be real life flowing between the two of you. Verse 7. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah describes a scene that is painted to build the confidence of a despondent and hopeless people. He says, you're a nation that's been disappointed. You're a nation that's been disconnected. You're a nation that's been disenfranchised for so long that you dare not hope for anything. You have nothing left in you to fight with. You have no drive, no no excitement, no anticipation. You're just beaten down. And the news says, here comes another conquering horde over the hills, and you as a people say, what's new? The weather report says drought and famine for the foreseeable future. And you you respond just as I suspected, more of the same. There's no fight left in you. There's, There's no hope that says we can make a difference. The mindset of this generation is this. We are nothing more than corks sitting on the surface of a violent sea. We will bob. We will float wherever these unpredictable waves take us. But we have no destiny. We have no purpose. But Isaiah stands up and he says, no, that's that's wrong thinking. That's, That's not. There is hope. He will not be defeated by a conquering horde. This is not a tentative peace. This is a peace that has no end. It goes on. It lasts. It sustains. This is not a good leader who will eventually get drunk on power and and turn out to be a feared and hated dictator. He will rule us forever with fairness. 
He will be the picture of justice. And he will be on David's throne, the man who was said to be after God's own heart. He will be the king that beautifully and lovingly represents the love and the kindness of God to us, his people, both now and forevermore. It doesn't come to an end. You won't be disappointed. It won't go south. Whatever it takes... And then a word of kindness to Israel. You have nothing left to fight with, and that's okay. Because the good news is that he will do the fighting for you. His zeal is what the old English says, but we, we know little of zeal, and so we understand this better. His passionate love and commitment to you will do everything that is necessary to make this happen. Devils will be defeated. Mindsets will be broken. History will be changed. Life will be snatched from the jaws of death. Hope will be brought to places of hopelessness. And it will all be accomplished by the passionate commitment that the Lord, who has all this power, has all of this ability, has all of this authority, has for you. He knows you by name and he's passionately committed to you and he's pulling you out of the mire into the clay and he's putting your feet on, on the rock. He will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Even if you're absolutely helpless and hopeless and lifeless and can't help at all, he has a compassion, a passionate commitment to you. This, this word was spoken in the darkest hour of Israel's history by a prophet who was, never, who was neither believed nor listened to by his generation. They ignored all this good news. And that did not nullify the promise nor negate the prophecy. What God said he will do. What he promised will be accomplished. 700 years later, the promise is fulfilled in the manger in a stable in Bethlehem. Good news came to a people that had become hopeless and lived by, by the motto, Blessed are they who do not expect, for they shall not be disappointed. Light came on the darkest night of the year. A light that would change the history of Israel and of the world. You see, the good news... The good news of Christmas is that there's hope. We're going to. Most people know that I can't be trusted with fire. My family's having a bit of a fit right now, just thinking that, you know. Come on. There we go. The good news of the Christmas story is that there's hope. There's hope. I open this session with, with many stories of dark and desperate times that I have personally experienced alongside the people of this house. I can tell you as a pastor that those stories, each and every one, takes a toll. It's hard to, to sit by people you love and cherish and listen as they receive bad news. It can be 
crushing to hear words like cancer, infertile, life sentence, terminal diagnosis, divorce. I'm sorry, your loved one is gone. It takes out a lot out of a person to stand and conduct the funeral for a member of this church family who makes this their home. In the natural, each of those experiences is like a trauma that comes. It affects the people you are with in a deep and lasting way, but the cumulative toll on you is significant and an ongoing trauma each and every time you walk into a dark and difficult circumstance. However, don't feel sorry for me because there's a difference. I, I come to those situations not as a victim crisis worker or as a janitor tasked by doing the necessary clean up. I come as a prophet of hope. I come with a message. The darkness that you're in right now is not forever. There will be a great light returned to your heart and to your life. This will not always be the way you see life. There is hope. His name is Jesus. There's, there's hope for your situation. There's hope for you. I have the authority of God to declare over you right now that you are not a hopeless people. You are cared for. You are watched over. You are guided by one who can only be described as wonderful. Believe it or not, you don't have to accept this, but I declare it, I prophesy it over you right now. He is all wise and he knows what he's doing in your life. He can be trusted. I speak this truth to you and to, to your trouble. His name is mighty God and there is nothing that is impossible or too difficult for him. He will not, he cannot fail. He will not die or walk away because he is everlasting. He will care for you as a loving father cares for his precious, incredible children. He will not walk away. I know that the storm looks overwhelming and I know that the fear has worked you up and beaten you down to the place where you do not trust, you do not believe, you do not hope, you have no expectation left, but I have the joy of declaring hope to you this morning. I, I have the authority to declare that this is true. The Prince of Peace has entered your world and he's about to command the winds to stop blowing and the seas to settle down and that you are to get ready to experience the joy that comes from the power of peace that settles both over your head and over your heart in Christ Jesus. David, will you come? I have the delightful task to tell you who are weary, who are battle-worn, that you don't have to work up the effort. The news is this. The God of all creation has made a passionate commitment to you and has rallied all of the strength, all of the resource of heaven to make his promise come to pass for you. He will make it happen because he is good and his love for you is without measure, without limit, and without ability to comprehend. 
And what's more, if you believed this, you would be standing on your chairs, tears running down your face, speaking in ecstatic utterance, joy coming out of every pore, hands extended with expectation that it could be this very moment that it's coming. But the fact is that you sit there and look at me as though I'm speaking gibberish and have lost my mind totally. That doesn't deter me. That does not deter me because I am prophesying today that he is the same God today that he was for Isaiah and that he will always be. I prophesy that over you. I prophesy, I stand here and say that God is not a man so he does not lie. He's not human so he does not change his mind. He has never spoken, he, he has never spoken something that has been fa- failed or never failed to act. He has never made a promise that's not been carried out. I prophesy. He's made promises to this house. He's made promises to you, and it will be carried out. I declare over every circumstance that's represented in this house and over your unbelief, there is great hope in the name that is above every name. We may have to have church for a couple more hours because you're just getting warmed up. I'm about to lose my voice, so it's not going to last that long. I'm a prophet of good news. I usually take great pride in being called to be a pastor, but every once in a while something falls on me and I recognize that God has taken a word and he's breathed his breath on it. And it's come alive for us and for this time and for this season. I'm a prophet of good news and it makes no matter if you believe me or not God has sent you a son and the darkness is done and the light has come and you're headed for breakthrough you're headed for breakthrough I have one more scripture for you especially if you're rooted in doubt and difficulty. It's a prophetic word for you this morning. It's, it's a word of, of hope. It's one of those words where God did breathe on it for me this morning, and he's breathed on it for you today. And it comes to you as a personal promise. It's found in Matthew 12, verse 21, talking about Jesus, and his name will be the hope of the world. I'm not a trauma patient. I'm a prophet of hope. The words of heaven have been deposited into my spirit and I speak them with life and with authority today to you and to your situation right now. The God that I serve, the God that I represent here, standing in the authority of his call today, will be known through your circumstance as the hope of the world. When the story has been told, people who have stood and watched you from afar, from beginning to the moment of breakthrough, will say, they know the the hope of the world. It doesn't look like it right now, but believe you me, as a result of the promise and of the plan of God, people will look at you and will say that they know God is real because of what they see in you. Will you stand?